please do take your seats. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, it's on page 1063 of the Bibles that were given out as we came in. And today we're starting a new series. And I don't know, but my guess is that this series might take us three, four, maybe five years to complete. Now, the reason I say that is because our what we love to do as a church is to take a book of the Bible and quite a decent sized book, a big book to work on and to try and really understand and to allow God to teach us and to show us the truth that's there. And what we'll do is we'll work on John's gospel up until Christmas. I'm hoping we might get to chapter four by Christmas. We'll do some more after Christmas. And then after Easter, we'll, we'll do some other stuff. And then we'll come back to John. And our, and our plan will be that over the next few years, we'll work through John and we'll seek to understand it. And those of you who are still here, you can enjoy <laughs> the glorious end of John. It's magnificent. But we're going to start with John chapter 1. This may be familiar to you from carol services. Don't freak, it's not Christmas yet. But let me read John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Those are pretty staggering words. 
And I want to try as we unpack this just to help you to see the sheer weight of what is going on in John chapter 1. I don't know if you ever learnt to play piano. Some of you may remember learning to play piano and you start with those books, the very simple books, where the first piece you play is C, 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 C. And then you turn the page and you go C, D, C. It just goes on and on, right? And you get to the end of the book and you've got three notes sort of under your belt. I want you to imagine that you opened up your first beginning to play piano. And the first piece that you're confronted with in your book is Rachmaninoff's Piano Sonata Number 2 in B-flat minor. So here you are as a little five-year-old. You open it up and there it is in all its glory. How do you react to that? There are two ways to react. Some people will look at that and they'll say, that's too hard, never playing piano. But others will look at it and go, wow, I want to be able to play that. I want to know that. And so they turn the page and they get to their C, 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 C. But what they're aiming for is Rachmaninoff's piano sonata. When John starts his gospel, he is not writing us a textbook where he starts simple and he builds up to something more complicated. He starts with the most profound and deep and extraordinary chapter where he lays out in extraordinary language the glory of what he's going to talk about. And as I've read that, my guess is that there are people here and we're sitting here and we go, I don't understand what that, what does that mean? There are words that don't even seem to make sense grammatically. He was God and was with God. How does that even work? What is going on in John chapter 1? If that's you, I want you to know that... This is Rachmaninoff's piano sonata. This is extraordinary. And what John is going to do in the rest of his book is say, now let me show you more. If you leave today's sermon understanding everything in this passage, that would be a miracle. That's not my aim. I don't think that's John's aim. I think John wrote this chapter, this section of his gospel to say, look what's coming. Look what I'm going to show you in my book. Look what I've seen in this person of Jesus Christ. Let me show you. This is supposed to whet our appetites and leave us wanting to read on. It is supposed to be tantalizing. It's not all explained. It's set out so that we would explore the depth of the glory of Jesus Christ. And so that we might believe in it. So I hope that today... There will be points at which we go, I don't get it. Great, we've got five years to unpack this. To go deeper, to seek, to understand all that God has for us. This is an aspirational passage. And if you want to know the response that I think would be a right response at the end of this, keep your finger in John's Gospel and turn to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, it's back on page 92. 
Exodus 33 and verse 18. And I want you to see this because this is important. And this passage actually is very important for John chapter 1. Here is Moses, a man called Moses, who gets a mention in John chapter 1. And Moses is talking with God, and in verse 18, he prays this prayer. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. If you want to know what I think John chapter 1 should evoke within us, it should be that cry. Show me your glory. As John writes John chapter 1, he says, we have seen his glory. And he writes it down for us so that we can see it. And my question for you as we get started this afternoon is, do you want to see the glory of God? Do you want to see it? Or have you settled? Have you settled for a mediocre view of this world? Maybe you're not a Christian and you're here this afternoon. It's so good you're here. And it may be that you're going through life and you're not quite sure how to make sense, but you're sort of settled. You're sort of happy with your understanding of how things work. Can I tell you that John is writing his gospel to say, wake up. There is a glory that you've not seen yet. There's a glory that's for you. And would you, even this afternoon, say, God, if you're there, would you show me your glory? And it may be that there are Christians, that those of us who already know Jesus, we sort of settled. We've lost any sense of hunger or expectation. John is going to say, oh, you're missing. You're missing out. And oh, that we would learn to pray, show me your glory. But I'm going to suggest you try and pray that prayer as I'm speaking this afternoon. Not out loud. I mean, you can do it out loud if you want. But let's do it probably quietly. But as we look at stuff in John's Gospel, as I try and unpack these difficult words, and you find yourself going, how does this all work? To be praying, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Let me see the glory. So let's come back to John um, chapter 1. And let's seek to begin to understand, and we're only going to scratch the surface of this extraordinary passage. But the first thing to notice is that constantly John talks about the Word. Okay, you'll have noticed that as we've gone through. What is this Word? Let's just try and unpack that idea before we then see what he says about the Word. At first you think the word, that's okay, I understand what words are. You get a dictionary, there's a word. I get that, I get what words are, until you get to verse 2, when the word is called he. Ah. Which is a problem, because that messes our categories with what words are. But now we discover that the word is a person. Okay, let's piece that together. As you go on through, you get to verse... um, 14, and you get the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, who is that? Verse 17 tells you that that's Jesus Christ. So let's just get this clear right up front. John, when he talks about the word, is talking about the historical figure of Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking about. Okay. So why call him the Word? Why not just say, in the beginning was Jesus? 
Why faff around with this complicated stuff? You're just making it complicated. Well, it's because John wants to introduce you to Jesus as the word. Because that tells you something critically important about who Jesus is. Right? Words matter. Words matter because they are how we know things. And they're how, they're how we know each other. And as humanity, we have this desperate longing for knowledge. We want to know stuff. I saw um, an advert on a bus this week for the new Brad Pitt film, which comes out next week, Ad Astra. I don't know anything about it. There's a thing. But the thing that caught my eye as I was walking around London is the little um, strap line that goes with the film. The answers we seek are just outside our reach. And I saw that and I thought, well, that's... That's quite an extraordinary thing to have on the side of a bus. If that's true, that is terrible news. That means you are doomed to a life of frustration. When something is just outside your reach, you know when you drop your maths homework behind the radiator and it's, your finger's not quite long enough. It's just outside your reach. And you can just touch it Right, you can you can waggle it, but you can't get it. It's the most frustrating thing in the whole world. And many people assume that that is what we are doomed to. We're doomed to a life where real knowledge and real understanding is sort of beyond us. We think there's probably mm, there might be something out there. I sense that there's more to life than this, but I don't know. And when I think I'm just about getting it, it moves again. The answers we seek are just outside our reach. And I think that's something that leads to a great ache in the human heart. We ache to know, but we know that we can't know. And that can lead to a sense of emptiness. It can lead to a sense of darkness. It can lead to a sense of confusion. And so we have to treat that ache, just like when you get a headache, you treat it with paracetamol. In order to treat that soul ache, that heart ache for knowledge, we, we try to numb that pain. And so we look for trivial stuff that will distract us. Things that will fill the emptiness, that will bring a little bit of light to the darkness, that will make a little bit of sense of the confusion. But the trouble is when the sparkle wears off this trivial stuff, we find ourselves aching again. I don't know if that relates anything to like your experience of life. Whether you've ever found yourself in a place where you just ache for answers, but you feel like... There are questions that we have, answers we seek, but they so often feel like they're outside our reach. And so what we often then do is we look for someone who's got an idea. Ideas. We love ideas. London loves ideas. That's why TED Talks are so popular. Ideas worth spreading. That's their slogan. We'll find some ideas. Yes, someone must have an idea. Let's have some ideas. And here comes someone with a new idea. John says you don't need an idea. You need a word. You need the 
word. You see, we're not supposed to work stuff out and deduce it for ourselves. We're supposed to listen to the word that is spoken by God. It's the difference between Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, who can deduce a load of stuff. He looks at someone and he works it all out and he says, yes, you're probably having an affair because you've got this bit of thing on here and you've got this in your hair and blah, blah, blah. And he deduces it all and you can know a load of stuff, but... To really know someone, you need words. And when I speak my words, what I'm doing is I'm allowing you into the real me. Every word that I speak is an invitation. If I am silent, if I never speak, you can't know me. You can know about me. You can work out that I'm a slightly overweight, balding 40-year-old. But you can't know any more than that. A little bit more. But you can't know much more than that until I open my mouth. That's why John starts by saying Jesus Christ is the word of God. Because we can work stuff up out about God. We can deduce things. We can see the Milky Way. Not really. And we can go, wow, that looks amazing. That He must be powerful. There must be something. But we can't know him. It's out of our reach until he speaks a word. The word. And the word he speaks is a person who walks this earth. That's why John starts by saying the word. See, right back at the beginning of the Bible, right? you know the Bible starts in the beginning. John starts in the beginning. There's a clue there. Right back at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, it starts, in the beginning, God made the world. Now, the earth was formless, dark, and empty. Emptiness, darkness, confusion. That's often how our world feels. What is it that brings light to the darkness and order to the chaos and fullness to the emptiness? It's when God speaks and says, let there be light. You see, it's always the same. It is the word that brings light, fullness, and order. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's come back. So we've got now Jesus Christ as the word. Let's find out about him. Just going to work through the verses now. And there are two massive statements about the word. Let me just show you how I think this passage is structured. There's a statement about the word. Then John the Baptist gets a mention. And then you discover the benefits of the word. And then it happens again. So in verse 1, you get in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. There's the first big statement. The second big statement is in verse 14. And the word became flesh. So we're going to take those two big statements and unpack them in order that we might know about this word. So here's the first thing. We need to know the godness of the word. When John writes about the word, who is Jesus Christ, we need to understand that John is saying he is God. The godness of the word. I'm going to show you that in three different ways from John 1, 1 to 5. So follow it with me now. Look how beautiful. Just look how beautiful this first sentence is, by the way. I mean, whether or not you're a Christian, whether you believe anything, it's the way this is written is beautiful. It goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Isn't that beautiful? Just the structure, the poetry of the way that John writes to show us what God is, this word is. So here you go, in the beginning. 
Those words kind of shudder with importance, don't they? In the beginning, that's what John is talking about. We're not talking about some new and novel idea that someone goes, oh, can I do a TED talk? I've got a new idea. No, we're talking about something which goes back, back, back in the beginning. The beginning of all things, the beginning of all matter, the beginning of all time, from the very moment when this universe dawned, when the time had a beginning. And when time began, the word was. It already was. Not that the word came into existence in the beginning, but in the beginning was the word. Always there. This is the eternal nature of this word. He is eternally existent. That's the godness of this word. Eternally existent. There has never been a time when the word did not exist. If you're sitting there going, oh man, this is really deep. It's okay, this is Rachmaninoff, right? This is supposed to stretch us. This is aspirational. We're going to see later on in John's gospel that Jesus is going to unpack this. He's going to explain what it means. He's going to say stuff like, oh, by the way, before Abraham was, I am. What does that mean? It means that he's the eternally existent one. He's always had existence. Before he was born as a baby, he already existed. In the beginning, yes, I was there. All other things have a beginning. You have a beginning. Everything has a beginning. The universe has a beginning. Even scientists, yeah, everybody knows that. It has a beginning, but not the word. Eternally existent. And that leads John on to explain that this eternally existent word, right, here we go. This is going to push us now. Was with God and was God. Both of those things are true of this word. John is saying that he is equal to God. That's the second big thing. He's eternally existent and he is equal to God. He was with God and he was God. Now, we don't usually use language that way, right? That's not normal talk. If you say to me, what did you do yesterday, John T? I spent, I spent the day with John T. You would go, oh, you know another John T. No, I spent the day with John T. No, but you are John T. What is wrong with you? <laughs> That's what's happening here, isn't it? The word was with God and he was God. What is John doing? John is speaking as carefully and as deeply and as profoundly as human language will allow. In order that we might grasp something of the glory of this word. If we only had one of those phrases, we would get this word wrong. Let me show you. If John simply said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, we'd go, oh, fine. Okay, that's all right. The word was hanging around with God, different to God, but a close friend, a colleague, helper, you know, that sort of thing. That's fine. You got God, and then you got the word, this other person who sort of around. But the problem is that John says, no, 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 that's not enough. And so he says, the word was God. Now, if we only had the word was God, we'd go, okay, fine. 
I get that. That's just another name for the one God. It's like Elizabeth, Queen, Your Majesty. Fine. Just different ways of referring to the one Queen. So fine, we sometimes call God this, sometimes we call him the Word. Fine, whatever. No, John says, no, 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 no. You've got to understand that there is a distinction. And so what John does in this extraordinary bit of writing, he so simply spells out that within God... There is the capacity, there is the extraordinary reality that there is God, but there is plurality within God. There is one God, absolutely clear in the Bible, and yet God has this capacity for there to be God and the Word, and both to be God, but to be distinct. This is Rachmaninoff, don't panic. We're going to see lots more of this. It's supposed to whet your appetite, it's supposed to go... Wow. And both of those errors, John wants to avoid us thinking. Do you know, classically, when people think about God in church history, these are the two big mistakes that people fall into. People either say that there's one God and that Jesus is just a helper or some other thing or a firstborn or something like that. Or they say, there's one God and they're all mushed together. And you just call them different things at different times. Now, you may not be interested in this, but you really should be. This is church history. This is what church is. You know, our forefathers argued about this to try and work it out. And there was a bloke called Athanasius who was an absolute hero. And there's a creed, the Athanasian Creed. And it's really long. And you should look it up because it's incredible how careful he is. But here is one tiny, tiny little phrase from it where Athanasius writes this. When we think about God, we need to talk of God neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. That is neither mushing the persons together, but neither splitting them up into different bits. There's one God who exists as God and the Word, or to use the language we're going to see later on, Father and Son, and John so as not to confuse us, will later on bring in the Holy Spirit and show us actually within God there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, here is the beauty of the God that we worship. And if our brains are beginning to reel, fantastic. Because you don't have the foggiest clue what this God is like. Because we're little. And we need to fall down on our faces and say, now show me your glory. Let me see you as you really are. But theology matters. When we read of John, John's account of Jesus, we are reading about the one who was with God and who was God. The one who is equal to and is God. We're going to have to do more on that as we go through John. I hope that's exciting to you. We'll do some more church history. We'll do some more Athanasian creed. We're going to love it. But we need to carry on. Others are going to be here all day. Because in verse 3, you discover that not only is he eternally existent and equal to God, he is also the uncreated creator. So look what it says about him in verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
So now we're being told that this one, this word, this Christ, is the one who made everything. He created it all. So back in John chapter, uh, back in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, when there was darkness, formlessness, and emptiness, it was the word that brought light and fullness and uh, order. And that word is Jesus. It was Christ. It was this word that brought creation into being. And do you notice in verse three that he puts in the negative? Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Why why say that? It's just repeating yourself, John. Well, John wants to leave us in no doubt that the word was not part of creation. He cannot have been part of the created order. It's like basically you've got two categories of stuff. You've got created stuff and you've got God. That's it. Where are we going to put the word? Well, through him, all things were created. Without him, nothing was created that has been created. If he is part of the created order, well, then how did creation come about if he created it? So John is pushing us to say, do not think that this word was created. Here is another of the great misunderstandings that have been taken on in the church in the past. This was a bloke called Arius who said that Jesus was the first of all God's created beings. No. The word, John, is absolutely crystal clear. It is through the word that all things were created. And without him, nothing was made. And so you get this extraordinary picture of the word who brought all things into existence because in him was life. And that life flowed out And the life became light to the world. This is so different to the worldview that most people have. This is telling us that life comes before matter. Now you think about it. Everything that we get taught on the TV, everything we get taught in school says what comes first? Physical matter or life? What comes first? Physical matter. There was some stuff, there was some energy and there was some stuff, whatever it was, and it exploded and then as a byproduct, life came. You see, physical matter comes, then life. No, John says life comes and from life comes physical matter, comes the creation. It means that we have to understand that life is precious and primary because life is what was always in the word He had life in himself, the uncreated creator. Oh man, this is big, isn't it? But it is only when we discover this life here that suddenly the lights come on. The answers we seek are not beyond our reach. The answers we seek are here in this word. You want to know what life's about? You want to discover the light that makes sense of the world and of life? It's here. In the eternally existent, equal to God, uncreated creator, word. And then suddenly in verse 6, we're really going to speed up now. Suddenly in verse 6. Okay. Okay. 
we get this mention of John, a bloke called John gets mentioned. Isn't that random? We go from this extraordinary, whoa, uncreated, eternally existent, and then there came a bloke called John. <laughs> so what's that? Where on earth does that come from? A man sent from God, his name is John. Why does he matter? Well, he matters because he comes as a witness to the light. He's not the light, John makes very clear, but he comes as a witness to the light. Just to confuse matters slightly, this is a different John to the John who wrote the gospel. This is John the Baptist. Don't worry about this. But the reason this is important is because how is anyone going to know about this word? Well, because God has sent witnesses who will testify to the truth of this so that we might believe. And over and over again in John's gospel, you get the word and you get the witnesses to the word so that you can believe that this word truly is who he said he is, the son of God. So we pay attention to the witnesses. And why does all this matter, verses 9 to 13? Well, because here in this word, we find what it means to become children of God. The tragedy is that by nature, humanity rejects this one. When the true light came into the world, the world did not recognize him. The world didn't want to know. The God who made them came to the world and the world did not listen to him. But for those who did, for those who did listen, for those who did believe... They became children of God. Here is what is being offered. It's all so tantalizing. There's so much here, but we've got five years, so we're okay. But there's so much here. You have to wait for chapter three to really understand what the new birth is. But that's what's on offer for you to become a child of God. Why is this word so important? This is no abstract idea. It's where life is found and light is found and where you can become a child of God and know the very God who made you and created you and loves you and adores you. That's where life is found. Show me your glory, Father. Show me your glory. So we must understand the godness of the word. But that's not enough. Verse 14, because we also need to understand the fleshness of this word. If the first big statement about the word is that the word was God, the second big statement about the word is that the word became flesh. This is verse 14. This eternally existent word, this equal to God word, This uncreated creator became flesh. He became what he was not before. He took to himself human flesh. In other words, God made himself visible. That's extraordinary. And that's why you get this language of, we've seen his glory. You know when Moses said to God, show me your glory. Do you know what God said to him? I'll tell you what God said. I'll read it to you. Don't worry about turning back there. 
when God, when Moses said to God, show me your glory, Moses was told this. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. You can't see God. You can't see God because he's holy. We've been singing about that. You can't see God because he's distinct and different to us. You can't see God because we're unclean and he's so pure. We can't see God because we've rejected him. You can't, no one's ever seen God. And then John says, we've seen his glory. (laughs) What Moses could not see Moses says, John says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so the one who has always existed, who now we're being told the language is shifting now from word to son, because now we're being shown that this relationship in God is a father and son and a spirit. Father and son... And what we're being shown is that the Father and the Son have always existed. The Son is equal to God. He's the uncreated creator. But at some point in history, that uncreated creator stepped into this world and became flesh. Became a man. Became a tiny little baby. Remember when we had our first child. And I I got him home from hospital. And I laid him on my carpet. And I looked at him and I thought, that's what God became. And then he weed all over the carpet. <laughs> and that was the end of that. It was a beautiful moment. It is an inc- it's an extraordinary claim that the Bible makes. Do you, not, do you not see that? There's an old hymn that says, our God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. The God who is awesomely eternal and uncreated shrinks himself into a baby. That's what we're being told. The infinite became finite. The unlimited became limited. To have human flesh means you take on all the limitations of being human. He actually became a man. He didn't fake it. He didn't float around like a ghost. John is going to show us this is a real man with real flesh. So suddenly now he's limited to one space. He can't be everywhere. He's in one place. He gets tired like you do. He gets hungry like you do. That's what we're going to read in the pages of Scripture. He became flesh. Now, don't, don't for a second think that that means he stops being God. No, no, he is still the eternally existent, uncreated creator, equal to God one, who is now human. And those two things are now joined together in one person. He is both. Godness and fleshness. 
coexisting in the one person of Christ. Two natures in one person, divine and human, now together in one person. This is extraordinary. The word became flesh. It's what we call the incarnation. And he made his dwelling among us. He came so that he could live among us. He tabernacled. That's literally what it means. In the Old Testament, God came and lived in a tent among his people. Now he does it again. He comes and lives in a tent, a human body, and he comes so that we could know him. What if God was one of us? He is. He became one of us. And why? He came so that God would become knowable. You see, in some ways, to be told, if we've rejected God, and God sends his son into the world, the word becomes flesh. That could sound like bad news, right? You know, if you owe me, or if you... Let's say, you know, you owe the mafia a load of money and they say, we're sending the boys around. You know, go, oh, lovely. We'll put the kettle on. Nice. That's bad news, right? If you've offended someone and they're sending someone around, God is sending his son into the world. But not to condemn. Because now we get another key word, verse 16. We get it in verse 14. He comes full of grace and truth. Get again in verse 16, out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Yeah, there was grace in the law. God spoke through the law, but you couldn't see God through the law. You couldn't meet God through the law. Moses couldn't see God face to face. But now God has given grace in place of grace, greater grace, because now through Christ you can know God, here is the word who takes you right into the heart of God so that you can know him for yourself. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So we are going to read of the word who became flesh so that you could know God. You do understand that God wants to know you that much. That he would go to those lengths so that you could know him. And through the book of John, we're going to see again and again God saying, I want to know you. And so if you have experienced any of the emptiness, if you sit sometimes and you feel, I feel so empty... Don't distract yourself with triviality. Go to this word. If you ever find yourself looking at the world and feeling a darkness closing in around you, don't seek to distract yourself. Go to this word, the word who speaks light into the darkness. If you ever find yourself confused and you can't work out what life is all about, go to the word who makes sense of the chaos. So that you can know the God who made you. We're going to read of how this word loves and serves. How this word stoops down to wash feet, filthy feet. How this word even goes to a cross to die.
all so that you could know God. This week, let's go into this week praying, show me your glory. Let your glory shine. Let me see more of Christ. Let me know you more. Don't settle for where you are. Don't settle and go, well, I think I know enough. And don't walk away saying, well, I I can never understand all that. Keep coming. (laughs) Keep digging. Keep exploring this extraordinary book of John that we might know him. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then we're going to sing together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Father, thank you that there is a Word, not just a Word, there is the Word. Thank you that there is the Word who provides answers to the questions that we ask and that this is the Word that became flesh and walked this earth, who became like us, who became one of us, who experienced our limitations and our frustrations, who went to a cross to die our death so that we could know you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you make God known. And so together, Lord, we ask, show us your glory. Please, show us your glory. And we ask it in the powerful and precious name of Jesus. Amen.